Welcome to the Unmanly Manly Podcast with Frank and Sergio. I'm Frank. And I'm Sergio. And we're here to talk about our experiences in many areas of our lives. We're just two dudes sharing our perspectives. Yeah, we may not be experts, but we have strong opinions that might resonate with you. So today we're going to be talking about violence, huh? Yeah, man. All right. How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling a little uh, disturbed, a little um, on edge. On edge. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. So tell me about it. What's got you on edge? What's got me on edge is uh, my neighborhood, man. It's pretty crazy around here. Mm. So for those of you who don't know, I'm in upper Manhattan, just to not be too specific. I'm sure everyone's been seeing things about New York City in the news. A lot of it's blown out of proportion in general, but things are tense. I mean, things get tense anyway when it gets to be summertime and, you know, people don't deal with the heat well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I know what you mean because some of it is blown out of proportion and some of it is just these spurts of violence that just pop up. Like, for instance, you know, I live in Queens, but... um. I have seen a lot of the news coverage around people getting attacked on the subway. Yeah. Asian people being attacked due to race crimes, school shootings, people bringing weapons to school, things like that. It makes everything feel very, very scary. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have the Citizen app. Unfortunately, I I do. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't help either because every moment there's like a notification saying someone got shot, someone got stabbed, someone this, someone that. Yeah. And... This is my pro tip for that mm. and for anyone else out there listening. Just turn off all notifications. Yeah. Because I was losing my mind at the beginning of 2020, but like summer of 2020 when the riots were happening everywhere and everything was going off as like a shooting. It could have been mm. fireworks or something like that. But the sensors will report something if fireworks are going off as a possible gun shooting. Mm-hmm. And some of them were real gun shootings, but the frequency was just astronomical. It was really putting me in a high anxiety state. And that's not cool. So turn off all notifications, badges. And if you feel like you need to know something about your neighborhood or somewhere where you're going, look then, check the map out, see what's around, then get your all your notifications on that. But do it manually. Yeah, Absolutely. Otherwise, it's just going to be a lot of paranoia nonstop. Yeah, yeah. It's not healthy. No, not at all. Yeah, I totally get how it feels like everything is just on the up and up in terms of the amount of violence that's out there and feeling afraid to, like, walk down the streets. I live in, like, a relatively calm neighborhood. There's not a lot of issues or crimes. But even then, just walking down the street, let's say at night or getting on the train, I feel like I have to like watch over my shoulder, not get too close to the edge of the platform because there's all these stories about people being pushed or people being attacked. And it's like, I don't remember being like this when I was younger and I grew up in the hood. So violence was just a normal thing growing up. And even then, maybe it's just because I was just used to it, or maybe now that I've moved out after years and years, I have 
gotten to the point where I'm not just used to it anymore or just gotten used to being in safer neighborhoods, but it never felt like violence or like danger was this prevalent when I was a kid, you know? People will have fights in my neighborhood because of disagreements, because they had issues with each other, but it was never around just random attacks or, you know, random shootings, unless it was like maybe someone got caught with a straight bullet, unfortunately. But right. even then, shootings didn't happen that often growing up. It'll happen, but it wasn't like I need to watch where I was going. Yeah. Well, from my perspective, as far as how things are going today, very little of it has been random. Mm-hmm. It's always someone that knows some the other person, like the attacker knows the victim, mm-hmm. um, and that is a very dark silver lining for me. Yeah, at least. that's true. Um, I, I'm not comfortable with it happening, but at least I know that the likelihood of, of anything happening to me is pretty low. And I'm street smart. I didn't grow up in the city, but I grew up right next to another city, Newark, which. Mm. <laughs> in those days very unsafe you know and, really oh yeah dude like newark irvington orange in parts of east orange we're getting a little shadier that mm. seems to be different now but yeah i could literally walk to newark from my house that's how close i was and you know cars would get stolen from my street people were getting carjacked at the supermarket just down the hill so it's a suburb but stuff was happening you yeah. know yeah. And you, you could randomly hear gunshots in the distance every so often. It's just something I grew up with. It was the norm for me. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of this doesn't phase me as sharply as it would just anyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's understandable. You see, like, I mean, even though I feel more paranoid now and like more apprehensive about where I'm going, like, I don't know how I would feel if it wasn't for the fact that I grew up in an environment where violence was normal. You know, because, for instance, my girlfriend, she's very afraid of, like, being a target, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I I understand that because there's a lot of women being attacked and she's Asian. So that doesn't help either with the current climate. But um, I also have to worry about her. I have to worry about, you know, the other people in my life. And, And also just recent events got me really present to how easy it is to be in a situation where you're in danger. Like... It wasn't that long ago, earlier this year, that there was a kid who brought a gun to school and no one knew. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not something that's out of the norm. There's a lot of kids who bring guns to school because of the type of lives they live and they have to protect themselves or maybe they're involved in gangs. And that's just the normal routine to carry a weapon with you. But this kid was approached by a group of kids from a different school and they were threatening to stab him. Allegedly, this is what I heard. So I don't know what's true, what's not. But he said that they were threatening to stab him and they pressed him against the wall. And he mentioned shooting them in retaliation. And there was kids around that heard that. So they're going upstairs onto the lobby floor and there's these kids just yelling, oh my God, he has a gun, he has a gun. The security guards hear the kids. But by that time, the kid that was being threatened runs upstairs to try to avoid getting caught. He runs to the dean's office and he tells them, oh, I'm feeling sick. I'm feeling sick. Can you call my mom so you can send me home? And they're like, okay, fine. But something that rubbed them the wrong way is the fact that he was trying to rush them. And that's just not typical behavior. You know, if a kid is feeling bad, they're feeling bad. They'll just wait for the staff or the teacher or the dean to call the parents and handle business. But his urgency was raising some red flags. 
And it wasn't a minute later that the security guards ran upstairs, got to the room and was telling them, look, this kid has a gun. And that's when everything got shut down. You know, we had to lock down the whole school. We were shutting down the classrooms, locking the doors. We were trying to divulge as little information to the kids so that they don't start to freak out. So after shutting the school down, we've already called the police and they said they're on their way. The kid is in the dean's office with the doors closed, no other kids around. And the dean is just watching him to just make sure he doesn't do anything crazy and trying to talk to him to see if he can look at his bag. The kid is saying no. And in terms of school policy, we can't search bags unless they give us permission, even in this situation. But there's a brief instance that the dean steps out of the room to talk to another staff member while trying to keep an eye on the kid through the glass. And he noticed the kid stand up and then sit down. So when he goes back in, the kid is finally saying, oh, yeah, look at my bag, look at my bag. And the dean is like, all right. So he looks through the bag, doesn't find anything. The suspicious part about it is that he's allowing him to look at the bag after he was refusing for so long. So it says something about what yeah. he did while the dean was out the room. And at this point, I'm in the opposite side of the school talking to the principal and the other social worker. And when we're walking back to the dean's office, that's when some of the police starts coming up the stairs and we cross paths in the hall. I say, okay, come with me. Let's go to the room. When I get to the room, there's already a bunch of police there. And it turns out that the two police that I was escorting were the captains. So I walk in and I just basically walk to the opposite end of the room because the police were just all surrounding this kid in one corner by the entrance. So that's when they ask the kid what's going on. They ask the dean what's going on. And you see that his book bag is on the floor with all the things out. They check the book bag, nothing there. They pat the kid down. While they're patting him down and shaking his pant leg, something is sliding out and you see the outline of a gun. And I'm there looking at this kid and I'm seeing this outline of the gun and then slowly but shortly just sliding down and then it falls out onto the floor. And that's when I'm just like in disbelief. Like I was already shocked. I was already scared. I didn't know what to believe because at that point it was all just hearsay. But to see that gun come out of his pants and then the police picks it up and sets it on a table behind him, which is the table that I'm standing behind. So the gun is right there in front of me. (laughs) Yeah, like the gun is right there in front of my face. And I'm just staring at this gun like, I cannot believe that this happened. I can't believe that I'm here right now. And I can't believe that it was that easy for the situation to go the way it did. If it wasn't for those kids in the lobby yelling that this kid has a gun, if it wasn't for those guys pressing him and, you know, threatening him for him to even say that, no one would know that he has a gun. Right. Now, fact of the matter is that growing up in my experience of what I've seen is random mass shootings don't happen in communities where there's people of color by people of color. You know, most of the time it's, you know, young white males that have an issue, a gripe with a group of people or what have you. And from what I've understood and what I've experienced, whenever a kid of color, right, has a gun. It's usually to protect themselves and it's usually going to be used to defend themselves from attack or to get at somebody specific and some sort of retaliation. There's very few times that someone's just out here just shooting around at random people. But 
that doesn't matter in the moment. In the moment, you're just seeing this kid has a gun and it's in a school and at any point something wrong could have happened. He could right. have used the gun. A stray bullet would have caught some kid or some staff member or could have caught me. And from that moment on, it just made me realize how easy it is to be in a dangerous situation yeah. and how vulnerable we are because we never would have known. Yeah. Plus, you're dealing with a kid that probably has never handled a gun in his life. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Right. This is like, what, a 15-year-old kid? Yeah. Like, more than half my age, like, it's insane. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, it is. But it just makes me think, you know, anytime I go on a train or I'm walking down the street or if it's dark or if I'm in a sketchy neighborhood, it's like, who knows what could happen? Right. Now, with that being said, like, that also lends itself to what's going on in the, in the minds and the hearts of the people who are committing these violent acts. What's going on? in terms of us as a society where all of these things are happening and like we're not seeing the changes necessary to quell the violence whether it's providing services for the people who need it because it might be tied to a mental issue or support for people who have anger issues in general or whatever the case may be but not only is there a lot of violence going on not only is violence something that we as a society need to handle effectively but like I don't think enough people are having the right conversations around why people become violent to begin with. Right. The type of problems they're facing. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a topic of like mental health, gun rights and gun safety. And sure, those are variables, but are they the totality of what's going on right now? Because it seems like, as you're saying, it's expanding. Mm -hmm. So these aren't the roots of the problem. There is something else going on. I mean, sure, we had a pandemic where everyone was locked up in a sense, afraid to leave their homes. Some people left, for sure. They were less concerned or didn't believe in what was going on mm -hmm. or didn't believe what was going on was that serious. And then you had the Black Lives Matter protests and, and then subsequent riots. That all gets muddied in the media. And yeah, a lot of things came out of the woodwork, especially with the last presidency. You know, Trump was not exactly the clean-cut type of president that we were used to. Yeah. Uh, to say the least. To say the least, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he's a leader, and leaders are people of influence. And he certainly influenced a certain faction of people. Mm -hmm. And these people are violent people. These people have no problem taking things into their own hands in, in like a vigilante sort of way. Yeah. And I'm generalizing. Well, not all Trump supporters are like this, but a certain faction. Yeah. But, like, where does this come from? And it, if you look at the history of this country, it's very systemic. We started this country on very shaky ground, on very shaky terms, very unfair terms. Yeah. You know, women had zero rights. Mm -hmm. People of color had zero rights. Mm -hmm. Immigrants had zero rights. Uh, these are things that that certain faction still believes this is the way things should be. Right. Because they can't handle change or something like that. I, I don't really know. I haven't had the conversation with any of them. Right. But I mean, even even without having the conversations with people who believe in these things, it's like just seeing the history, it speaks for itself. Because yeah. anytime there were any sort of progressive movement for women, people of color, immigrants, the LGBTQ community, the trans community, it's always been matched with violence. Yes. Of course, there was just pushback in terms of policymaking, pushback in terms of the narrative and the news and you know, whatever media throughout the ages that was being used to send a message, but also violence. People would attack these groups 
especially whenever there was a, a progressive movement, like the civil rights era, there was a lot of black people being attacked, right? There's the hosing, the police dogs, the uh, lynchings, all of that. And there was a whole civil war because of abolishing slavery. And women being attacked is something that's just been going on and on. And there's just increased awareness over time. But regardless of what it is, whether it's your sexual orientation, your race, your gender, whenever there's any push to fight for some sort of equality, and I'm already using the word fight, but to push for any sort of equality, any sort of progressive policy, any sort of correction in terms of having a nation where everyone is treated equally, it's always a fight. It's always a battle. So going down to the individual, all of that conditions those in power or those that are threatened of losing their power to then have to fight and retaliate in order to maintain the status quo. And we saw that in the insurrection, you know, like yeah. Trump already spread the word that the elections were rigged. So what did his followers do? They attacked the Capitol building. Yeah. I've never seen that in my life. And I don't know when was the last time something like this happened. But for, yeah. for people to just storm a government building while government officials are in there and to be able to just walk out without being arrested in mass is... I hate to say that it's not unbelievable. It's shocking. It's shocking, yeah. It's shocking. And it just sets the ultimate precedent of where we are as a society. Yeah. I remember when it happened, you and I wanted to talk about it. We wanted to record an episode, but uh, we never got around to it for some reason. Yeah. But I just remember I was working from home at the time. And just at a certain time of day, I just tend to turn on the, the news because there was so much going on at that juncture. Uh, especially with politics at the state where they were at the time. But something caused me to check the news and there it was like, it was inescapable. It was mm. all over. Yeah. And it was like, what, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Is this the United States that this is happening in? Yeah. Is that really the way to do things? Maybe back, you know, 50 to hundred years ago, I could imagine that we had a civil war 150 years ago. Yeah. So, it has happened in this country, mm-hmm. but it's been so long. And, and there's been so much violence in between for people to just get their basic human rights. Yeah. Basic human rights. There's this pretend system that someone created to give themselves superiority over others. Yeah. And it trickles down. White people are on top. And any chance that anyone else gets up there, they get angry. Mm-hmm. And it's so irrational. It's so childish. Like, look at Tucker Carlson. He's a prime example of just white supremacist behavior and thinking. Yeah. He's just not aware of what it means to be a human. You know, this whole thing of race is a construct. And we can't keep a society running properly, well-oiled, with people thinking that they're above a certain faction of people. Like, I don't want to hear white people saying they're above everyone. I don't want to hear black people saying they're above Asians and LGBTQ. It's nonsense. Yeah. No one's above anybody. We're all human beings. At the end of the day, it's a shame because how many times can this happen in history where we just repeat the same mistakes, the same problems? We have a group that is superior. They oppress others. After a certain time, they exploit them, they gain more riches, more resources, they try to expand, they, they do all these things to maintain and expand their power. And then 
at some point the society crumbles, whether through revolution or through attacks from other nations or other territories that are just done with their bullshit. And then a new power takes hold and commits the same mistakes. Yep. It seems that there's no way for any group to be powerful without oppressing others. And where will there be a time when there can be some sort of equality so that everyone is able to live the lives they love, have the resources, have their basic rights, and not have to deal with this bullshit of, oh, because my skin color, I'm neglected the right to live a healthy, normal life right. because of my gender or because of the, the reproductive organs that I'm born with yeah. or because of my orientation, because of my identity, right? And it's bullshit. It's utter bullshit. And you can see how shallow their lip service is whenever you hear politicians or people of power talking about equality and being progressive and freedom and all of this stuff. Meanwhile, they're doing the complete opposite of actually ensuring that we all have our freedoms, you know? Yeah. And we're not even talking about the sort of violence they're doing across seas in terms of our government, our military, and the large corporations exploiting other nations and the people who live there just to make extra money, just to have some more power in this world. Yep. Always at the expense of someone's livelihood. Yeah. I mean, we're funneling weapons to probably the wrong people sometimes and probably the people that do need it. It's all over the place. And what's going on in Russia has been such a, a mess and a nightmare. What goes on yeah. in Israel and around there is also just shameful. Mm -hmm. In any given situation, in my mind, does not need to come down to violence, to, to a bloodshed. And that's the thing, because in order to avoid that, the powers that be have to eventually say, you know what? Okay, we approach this country, this group, whoever it is with this idea of being able to have some sort of lucrative endeavor, whether gathering resources or expanding business to their territories, whatever. And for one, some reason or another, they refuse our offer. It should just end there. Yeah. Whatever happens to just regular negotiations. But no, then it becomes America imposing itself or whatever power imposing itself upon that other nation or that other territory to then say, you know what, if that's not the case, then we're going to force you to actually bend it to our will. And then it could be either a war, it could be a coup, you know, removing or killing the, the leader or the president in that area and then replacing it with a puppet so that they can do whatever they want. Right. Well, meanwhile, that puppet is then subjugating their own citizen and doing all sorts of tyrannical things. So, you know, when you have a whole world history of violence and exploiting groups of people, enslaving them, hurting them, going to war and just taking territories over. And then you fast forward to now America, which is like arguably the greatest superpower it is in terms of military. It's, it's dropping in terms of many other categories, but... <laughs> You said that this country started with a turbulent beginning, and there's no surprise why, as citizens, we have some sort of conditioning around violence. And you can see it in terms of our society and the values we hold. We, ha we have a, an amendment about bearing arms. We have all this back and forth around the NRA and gun rights and who has access and all these things. And even then, when we're talking about guns, we have a whole group of people who are up at, ar up at arms, <laughs> who are, you know, protesting, saying, well, you know, don't take away our guns, don't take away our guns. And I know that some of that is because of misinformation, because yeah. it's not taking away the guns, it's just really making sure that the, the avenues in which we get guns and we buy guns are 
set up so that not anybody can get a gun because there's some people who just don't have any business having a gun. And also the other side of it of why should we own an AR-15? Why should we have access to an an assault rifle? What's wrong with going to the gun range and renting one and using it in a gun range and then having your pistol, maybe a shotgun because of hunting or self-defense. But it's so ingrained in our society that just the notion of putting restrictions on guns leads to this whole controversial conversation. And that's guns. You know, there's a lot of countries that look at us and they're like, why are we so attached to our guns? Like, this makes no sense. What is the whole purpose of this? And, you know, I don't know enough to be able to say why it's so ingrained in our society, but it makes me wonder how much of that has to do with who we are as a nation and how we move around the world and our infatuation with weapons and and being a superpower. So it's just very concerning. And then also in terms of like violence as a society and and as individuals where we see all of these acts of violence happening in our own country, you mentioned it, there's the pandemic, there's a lot of hardships, there's a lot of issues being exacerbated, right? Because it's not only about doing mass shootings or attacking people in the street, but there's also domestic violence. There's also suicide. There's also self-harm. So personal violence towards yourself. And a lot of these things get exacerbated because we're all struggling, we're all suffering, and our political climate is just becoming worse. We have less access to resources. A lot of people lost their jobs and we're still rebounding and things becoming more expensive and none of our pay is growing. So everybody is suffering. And I'm also seeing that the effects of poverty and hardship is starting to trickle to more than just people of color and and those who were already poor before the pandemic. It's trickling to a larger portion of our population. And what happens when people live in poverty? They get into survival mode. That's why you see that in poor neighborhoods, there is more violence. There is more robberies. Because there's more desperation. Exactly. So you tie that to a climate where you put a face to the problem by making it seem like the pandemic has to do with Asian people in general. And then you have people losing their money and thinking that they can take it out on an Asian person because their life is hard and it's all their fault. Right. Right. And then you have people who are just surviving. And then you have young kids who are looking for some sort of direction in life. And some of these white young boys who are doing mass shootings, they're seeing all of these other ones from years before. All of these mass shootings, all of these school shootings from years before, all of these alt-right movements that are becoming even louder now because of Trump. And getting a message of, well, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the society we live in. I'm tired of all these people. And let me take out my anger on them. And it's sometimes, uh, I'm going to put it out there. I don't even think it's that. I think it's just the attention. That's true too. They're, they're going to point at mental illness. No, this, this person knows what they're doing. Yeah. And it's interesting because there were some folks that did research on these attacks, these mass shootings and things like that. And a lot of them, a high majority of them, involves the killing of a woman that was close to the attacker's life, like killing their grandmother, killing their mother, killing their wife or their girlfriend, and then going on this killing spree. Right. So it's also some sort of hatred towards women going on here where these boys are just so jaded and they have this hatred 
and they're directing it towards women in their lives. And then they're also then taking it out on just a bunch of people in general because they have no avenue to deal with their anger or their angst in a healthy way. They have no perspective. No. Their, their youth is not the issue necessarily. Sure, experience helps, but it is an environment that they're in that doesn't have that support. And it's also, just like you're saying, the misogyny that's going on too isn't new. This is a problem since the cave days, since yeah. we're, we're living in caves and just getting out of the Ice Age or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it goes even further than that. Mm-hmm. There, there's always been a hierarchy. Again, I'm just repeating myself because Bear is repeating. There is a hierarchy, and that is where violence comes from. It's like, I am superior. You're less than. I get to do whatever I need to do to keep you there. Mm-hmm. Because that's the contradiction. If you were superior, you wouldn't need to feel threatened. But these people feel threatened one way or another. Either it's to their ego or they feel that their life is in jeopardy when it's not. It's just very irrational, paranoid kind of thinking. And it's just a step from like, hey, I'm not going to take responsibility for myself, my actions, or even check my anger or anything like that. I'm just going to take care of this stuff so that I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Not thinking about it that logically. Yeah. But it's just what the actions speak. Right. And, and it says something because throughout history, it seems like the only way to stop the powers that be from continuing to exploit and impose their will and hurt others is by re- revolting with violence. Yes. You know? And... That in itself speaks volumes in terms of the type of philosophy of being a a person of power. It's like, if no one does anything to fight back, we can protest, right? Which is what those who want to maintain the status quo would prefer because protests don't really move the needle unless we're able to vote on it. And even then, there's a lot of controversy around how much voting actually gets us. Because look, here we are having voted how many presidents into power and a lot of things haven't changed. Yeah in terms of progression. So when all of these avenues of protesting, of spreading of awareness, of holding events, of reaching out to your politicians and all of these things doesn't work, what are people left with? Right. Literally to fight the power that be and just take it over. And I'm 100% sure that if we were a society where it was all about negotiation and it wasn't about being powerful at the sake of someone else's well-being and livelihood, we wouldn't be a violent as a society. There's going to be people who have bad intentions, of course, who will try to get their way without having to either negotiate with people or try to be diplomatic. But that would be outside the norm and that could be rectified. Yeah. But when you have from the top down, right, the only thing that trickles down is corruption and, and violence. Nothing good trickles down <laughs> in any country anywhere, you know? Yeah. Reagan had it wrong, you know what I mean? <laughs> trickle yeah. down economics. Well, right? it, Money that, don't trickle down, but violence does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's also a lot of misinformation going around. And it's weird because it's not a new thing either. There's no. been misinformation and conspiracy theories for as long as there is history. And, you know, lies get people to be on your side Mm -hmm. if you're if you have an agenda and your agenda is based on greed and ego but you just want this power so bad you will Mm -hmm. resort to lying and resort to like blaming someone that has nothing to do with it just so you can have it like historically this country and i i listen a lot to the um 
Dan Carlson Hardcore History Podcast. Okay. And um, I'm. Oh yeah, I know this one. Yeah. So <laughs> America wanted their hands on Cuba. So instead of I don't know maybe negotiating or just leaving it alone because it's not yours to begin with. <laughs> yeah. They created a situation where one of their ironclads was sabotaged. Mm. We sabotaged our own you know unit of warfare and blamed it on Spain who owned Cuba at the time. You know, meanwhile, Spain has no money. They have no military. They're still using wooden frigates. And we've got metal machines of war <laughs> at mm. this time. And you know, yeah. this is pre-World War One. Teddy Roosevelt's not even president yet. But he's, he's the jingoist, what was it, the Rough Riders. You know, yeah. Ready to, ready to roll, man. And he did just that, just murdering people <laughs> along his way through Cuba. Yeah. We didn't get Cuba. I forget what the end result is, but just the point is that it was all based on a lie. Yeah. And that's what's happening now. That's why when I read comments on social media, on, on like news reports, people calling those that believe in pro-choice as baby killers, as murderers. Yeah. And it's just this myth, this like weird thing that, that stems somewhere from religion. Someone made the perfect wording for this so that it does seem like, hey, Maybe there's a point to this. Maybe that was a life. Sure, there's a potential for life in an acorn. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's a good analogy. I will not take credit for it. A friend of mine came up with it. Cool. But, <laughs> yo, it's true, though. I was, I was like, why has no one said that before? Mm -hmm. You know, everything has a potential for life. Not everything yeah. gets it. And that's just a, a bullshit rhetoric just to control women. It's not about saving lives. It's just Absolutely. about controlling women and just making sure people have babies so there's always a steady flow of workers. And that's the wild thing is that there are women out there that fall for this bullshit that mm -hmm. are denying themselves rights. And we're not just talking about abortion. We're just talking about anything. Yeah. And it's just weird. It's yeah. so weird how people can just fall for shit. Hear me out. I mean, like smart people can fall for shit too. It's not mm -hmm. about being gullible. It's about being open to the influence of something mm -hmm. to the effect that you are now part of something that's doing damage right and, and that's the thing too because let's say we're talking about women's rights people of color whoever whatever group you know there are figureheads that seem to represent them that are actually not acting in their best interest there's women in politics that are for this you know anti-abortion laws but it's a game being played like they are there to influence women to fall in line with this and they know what's happening. It's not like they believe it intrinsically. It's more like they're just playing the game of power. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then there's Clarence Thomas, right? Granted, he's, he was part of the group of judges that voted against Roe versus Wade. And this is a women's related policy. But, you know, this is a man of color. He understands that he represents a group of people who are marginalized, who are oppressed, who have been attacked over and over again. And do you, do you know the conspiracy theory that's running around around Roe versus Wade? No. About it being a based on a racist principle? No. It's partially true. Oh god. Uh yeah. Let me look this up. Yeah, look it up because it's a friend of mine sent me something about it. It was just someone stating that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So I looked it up. And yeah, there's a myth around it. it it's just funny that people will just take those little sound bites. Like, oh my mm -hmm. God, I can't believe this is true. And then just stop there. They don't look it up. They don't do the research. They just go straight for the outrage. Yeah. 
which can be argued to be a violent reaction when it's just outrage and reactions and just being it leads more... to violence it leads to verbal yeah. violence if anything psychological violence dude i'll put myself on the line here just by saying like how many times have i opened my stupid mouth half cocked not knowing what the fuck i'm talking about yeah and I look like the asshole when i realize oops like just even something as simple as like hey you and me i'm thinking we're starting this podcast recording at eight o'clock because i misread something and i'm just so sure of it you know <laughs> yeah. it's pretty benign because we're friends and i'm open to being wrong but there are times where i'm just like no absolutely not this is not how it happened and i'm wrong <laughs> mm. you know? but this is how other people function too it's just a human thing it's an ego thing yeah, absolutely. Of course, it's an ego thing. All of this is ego. It's I'm powerful. I want power. I want control. That's the ego talking. It's just that some people have the resources and the ability to let their egos run rampant without having to face the consequences. Just to add this to the different areas of violence, like there's police brutality that we haven't talked about and how much of a retaliation from the police we received when, we, when the Black Lives Matter movement started. And how they wanted to change the narrative and make things muddy by doing Blue Lives Matter, right? right? But then there's people saying All Lives Matter, right? Just to diminish the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement. But in the protest, you didn't see the police being brutal, attacking people, tear gas, mace, clubbing them. And especially during the pandemic, you just see more and more of like police shooting Black people for no good reason. It's not as if they were attacking the police. It's not as if they were brandishing a weapon towards the police. These are just people who were being nonviolent and they still had to suffer the ultimate price just for being black and not obeying the law or just not being at the right place at the right time. And what's happened to the police department since then? Nothing. They've gained yeah. more money in their budget. Over-education, ma- mind you. <laughs> over, yes, over-education. And the mayor is just applauding them and on their side. And, you know, our mayor. Mayor Adams, a former cop himself. Exactly. He was a cop himself. So even though he's a black man who was the the borough president of Brooklyn, doesn't mean that he's acting in the best interest of people of color. He's not acting in the best interest of marginalized groups, of oppressed groups. It's just a figurehead. Exactly. And there's a term that's been used that was used in the past called Uncle Tom which is when a black person is actually working with the slave owners at the detriment of the other slaves, right? And that term has been used often recently, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement for any black person who's doing something um, at the expense of other black people, right? And what Mayor Adams is doing falls under that category because the police is not here to protect and serve. And a lot of the people who are killed by police are people of color especially black people. And we have a black mayor who isn't going to do anything about that. He's just going to continue to inflate the budget of the police department. And they're going to continue doing what they do in order to maintain the status quo and serve for the powers that be. And this is, this is a shame. Yeah. And the more we talk about it, the more it just, it feels hopeless because this is just the way human beings have been. And till this day, we're just seeing more and more of the same in different ways, whether it's, Asians today, there was Middle Eastern people back in 9-11 being attacked because they wanted to put a face to the horrible things that happened then. Next year, it's going to be somebody else. And I say next year figuratively, but in the future, it's going to be a different group. It's almost guaranteed. Yeah, exactly. 
and history is repeating itself. And, you know, we can learn from history, but unless those who have power exercise that wisdom and actually start to implement policies that are good for the people, no matter who they are, we're going to keep seeing these problems. Yeah. And based on history, it's only a matter of time until it gets worse and worse. And uh, it says America as a superpower, as an empire, whatever, becomes a thing of the past. Right. I don't know if it'll be in our lifetime, unless global warming happens and, and kills us all before that yeah. even happens. And America is the last empire of the human race. But like, if we have the time, it's only a matter of time before America falls to the same fate. And then the next country, whether it's China because of their economy, or maybe Europe does something in order to try to maintain some sort of white supremacy, who knows, but it, it's just all going to be the same. Yeah. And it feels hopeless. Yeah. Huh. Then I get that. There needs to be some significant change yeah. everywhere. Like yeah. our political system is just on all sides, rife with useless people. They're useless mm-hmm. because they're only in it for themselves and whatever the lobbying kind of shenanigans they go through. Yeah. They're mostly supported by corporations. There's only a few you can trust. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's just you got to question it. They're amongst thieves themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it does look hopeless. I've talked about this with other people. I was talking to this one guy. He labels himself as an anarchist. And it was a very interesting conversation. We actually saw <laughs> in a lot of things. Which made me question mm. uh, my own thoughts. But mm. I was just saying, like, a lot of times it just seems like you need to strip everything down and start from scratch. Right. You know, the foundation is terrible. It's got cracks and it's crumbling. It's falling apart. That's what yeah. we're looking at right now is yeah. a system that is building on top of a crumbling foundation. And the only way to do it is to demolish it like you would a building and no shortcuts to it. But start with a fresh foundation Start Solid. anew, something yeah. that works for everyone. I think we've been on this planet long enough to figure out some things that will work for everyone. And not everything's going to work for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's but why we, you have amendments. Exactly. And, and then this whole like, thing of like, we can't change the Constitution. We can't do that. This is all this fear-based talk. It's fear of yeah. change. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of power or rights you think you're losing out of this, but... What is your life worth now anyway? What are you mm. doing with your life that's productive? I mean, the, these people that are saying these things are probably moderately okay in their lives, but they're not really doing anything that I can tell. Mm. I don't know. I'm talking really out of my ass right now. <laughs> so. No, no, because I was going to say that I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who say the same thing, like don't change the Constitution, and they're probably living in poverty. It's just that they drank the Kool-Aid yeah. of like America being the greatest country and that our Constitution is perfect the way it is and all this stuff. But like there's people who believe that on all levels of society, whether they're poor or they're rich, it's just that when they're saying that, where is that coming from? And that's where I believe what you said, where it's like, it's fear. It's fear of change. It's fear of rocking the boat. It's fear of potentially losing privileges and power, you know, at the expense of others actually gaining privileges and power. And, you know, I kind of believe the narrative that white supremacists are afraid of people of color gaining power and gaining rights because they fear being subjected to the same oppression that they were subjecting people of color. And I don't believe that if we were on an equal playing field that that would actually happen. Because based on like everything that I see online in terms of all the people making arguments for equality and all this stuff is like, people just want to live their lives. Yeah, They want to be done with this. 
the black and African-American communities in this country have contributed to so much of what is American. Yes. And it is due to the slave trade. It's the dark issue of that whole fact. Yeah. Like, we get a lot of our music, our film, our entertainment, a lot of inventions, practical inventions, Mm -hmm. all come from them. So, (laughs) you know, and yeah, people of different white ethnicities have contributed to the greater good as well. People of all ethnicities have contributed to the greater good in general. Yeah. There is no one thing that is above the rest. This nationalistic way of looking at things, this race way of looking at things has to end. Stop separating yourself. I mean, sure, let's separate the people trying to do good from the assholes trying to do bad. Yeah. But there also could be some outreach to the people who keep fumbling this, who keep Mm -hmm. buying into the bullshit and then doing bad things. Yeah. There has to be something that can be done so that they see what's really happening outside of their own paranoia. Yeah. And that's where, like, things like jails have to shift from being a business to being somewhere where people actually are rehabilitated. Yeah. Because you can easily just have people in jail. They have their food. They have their water, whatever. They have all these things. And then you force them to learn. Learn about internalized racism. Learn about bigotry. Learn about misogyny. Learn about the impacts of their actions on their fellow man and things like that. And have them really work through all of those hangups that they have, all of those issues that they have, to then be able to come to a more rehabilitated place where they can interact with others in a harmonious way and not carry these judgments and this hatred and this, this prejudice. Yeah. I feel like prisons should be places of education, not places of just strict punishment. Exactly. It does nothing. It's just... No, it's a business. It's it's a business. It's a torture machine. People are deterred because they're threatened with this possibility of being in these horrible places. But they're they're made to be horrible. And of course, like, yeah, you shouldn't do bad things and you wouldn't want to go to a horrible place. I get that. Yeah. But it's just not working right now. This, This system doesn't work yeah <laughs> to just to continue it is just insane yeah exactly and that's where like this whole movement around mental health and providing mental services you know has been growing over the past several years but there's the argument that some people need to be removed from society and learn the errors of their ways not in a, in the punitive way that the prison system industrial complex is doing it now, yeah. but in a way where they're actually removed, they are stripped of certain privileges because they weren't able to operate in society in a peaceful and civil way, and they have to learn the errors of their ways. But then there's people who have actual untreated conditions that don't have the wherewithal to know what they're doing, and they're just operating off of whatever dysfunction is in their brains. So they need the mental health services to be able to either get the medication or the treatment to be able to then go back to a functional, stable, nonviolent place. You know, and then there's people who are, their conditions are so severe that they aren't able to function despite whatever services, they'll just have to receive the services, be in a, in a mental health facility or what, what have you, so that they're taken care of. But even those institutions are corrupted. There's yeah. people who are being taken advantage of and exploited in, in those institutions and in those organizations just because they don't have the ability to speak up and defend themselves. You know, and that's a whole other 
can of worms, but all of these resources has to be funded accordingly so that they can actually provide the proper services to these people. And that the whole prison industrial complex has to be overhauled so that it's no longer a business. And it's actually a government institution meant to correct people's behaviors, not just punish them over and over again. And then they go out and they can't get jobs and then they're poor and then they have to be in survival mode again. And then they commit crimes and they're right back into the prison system again. It's awful. Yeah. So there's a lot there. And for all of you guys out there listening in terms of like what you can do, right? Like most listeners are probably just regular people doing their thing and they might have bouts of like anger or bouts of frustration or having difficulties trying to process anger. And there's a lot going on. So it's a lot to handle anyways. But like yeah. there's things that we can do as individuals to make sure that we don't go down that path and contribute to the darkness in our society. That's right. You know? Yeah. Talk to the people in your life. Tell them what you're going through. Talk about your feelings. You know, you can seek therapy and receive guidance from a professional in order to work through whatever issues that you're dealing with how you handle those issues, what type of biases you may have, or internalized prejudice or racism or whatever have you, because, you know, we all carry something, right? Yep. Even if we have good intentions, we might have been conditioned to be racist or sexist or transphobic or homophobic just by virtue of living in this country. So it doesn't make us bad people. It's just that it's good to identify it and work through it, yep. right? And learn how to be able to communicate these things effectively so that we're not yelling at people and causing these insane arguments that could escalate to violence. But instead, we're talking about it in a way that leads to an actual solution to progress within our circles. And there's so much more that we can do, you know, building good relationships with people, because then that fosters a type of connection and harmony that actually creates space for more harmony and peace and love. And there's no space for violence when you actually have these feelings. Yeah. There's no space for violence when you're in harmony with people, with the people you love, connected with them, being able to be vulnerable with them. You know, there's no space for violence there. And for those who want to do something about the larger issues in our society, there's participating in activist groups. There's activist groups against violence, yeah. you know, and there's support groups for those of you who have been a victim of violence so that you can work through the trauma because yeah. there's the phrase that hurt people hurt people. Unresolved trauma from violence can lead to acting out in violent ways to other people. So to stop the cycle, there's always support groups for that. And then in terms of just overall awareness, just understand the risks and the dangers of the life you live or the places you go so that you can prepare accordingly. Because at the end of the day, there's only so much we have control over. So yeah. if you can get the things you need to protect yourself, there's tasers, there's mace. If you have a gun's license and you want a handgun because you live in this neighborhood where someone could be stuck up at any moment, have it. But only for self-defense, not to then use it as a weapon to impose your will on others and attack others. There's a big difference between protecting yourself and just being violent towards others and hurting yeah. people and, and damaging their lives and ending it potentially. Yeah. Yeah. You know that. I know that. Yeah. But do they know that? And, and that's the thing, right? We don't know, you know, we don't know. And we don't know who is capable of what. Yeah. Just like you said earlier, a lot of people who are victims of violence are victims of violence from people that they already knew. Yep. So whether it's early in your life or later in your life, someone is just acting violent towards you and you never would have expected it because this is a family member, a friend. So it's true. You never know what their disposition to violence is 
unless you've seen them act violently before. And sometimes it's too late at that point. And that's the point of us doing this particular episode is maybe it will get out there. Maybe it will get to the right person. And this is the shift. This is the wake up call. Yeah. That, yeah, things look hopeless. Things look bad. It's a mindset. Mm -hmm. It's half real, half mindset. You know, like there are bad things happening. That's real. But there are things that can be done. Yeah. And there are definitely things that can be done. Yeah. And, and just, yeah, just surround yourself with people that will do good, that will support you. And that you can also in turn support. Yeah. And positivity is a thing that, that is nurtured. It can grow and it, it can be infectious. Yeah. You know, doing good, being kind. They're not things that are emasculating, you know? Yeah. They're great. And if you stop repressing that, you'll be a freer person. There's already enough yeah. repression in this world. Oh, Don't yeah. deny yourself happiness because you're afraid of looking bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you added the lens on masculinity because, you know, as men, as, as a species or as a subset of human races, like we have a high inclination towards violence and a predisposition to violence. And I don't know how much of that is natural versus conditioning, but we're humans. We yeah. are beings that are able to rationalize and able to problem solve without resorting to the reptilian brain, the impulse, the instinct of attacking when feeling threatened. Yeah. You know? And that's why communication is so important because a lot of times violence occurs when there's a breakdown in communication because words no longer work. And in order to be able to circumvent that whole impulse of being violent, whether it's verbally violent or physically violent or psychologically violent, learning how to communicate your feelings and learning how to communicate the problems that you're dealing with is going to alleviate a lot of that issue. Because if people understand you, you can get to a solution. Yeah. You know, yeah. how many times have I went to a fit of rage because I didn't feel understood? Yeah. Or just, heard. Just that. Or heard. And it's like, just because I had the impulse to be violent doesn't mean that I had to act it out. Yeah. No one has to act it out. Unless it's self-defense. But that's the only caveat that I can really think of. Defending yourself or defending others from an attack is a viable way to use violence because otherwise your life's at stake or their life's at stake. But yeah. when it comes to these matters that we're talking about... Violence is not the answer. It's never the answer. Never. So for everyone out there, really learn and try to understand what, why conflict happens and what it's all about. You know, really try to understand why we have the problems that we have in the society. Because as much as we talk about it, there's so much more to dig through and to understand. And at the end of the day, if you can resolve your problems with your words, you win. Yeah. And it's something that can be practiced. No one's a genius on it, nope. you know, right out of the gate. Nope. You know, things can be frustrating when you're learning and you're not getting it, but mm -hmm. you hang in there. That's right. There's a lot within your control and there's a lot of resources to help. So, yeah, exactly. There's no excuse. Yeah, exactly. There's so, <laughs> it's seriously, like, there's so much at your fingertips. Some of it costs money, some of it doesn't. And you just got to look for it. You got to want it and you'll find it. You got to yeah. ask around. It, it, you know, instead of like, and I'm, I'm just speaking in terms of just how we spoke about other things, but that desperation to yeah. have the things that you either desire or need and to take it violently could be used to find the things that bring you happiness as opposed to a quick fix. Yes, absolutely. So you're talking about redirecting all of that energy in a positive way. Exactly. Yeah. I'd say that wraps yeah. it up. Yeah, that wraps it up. Don't be violent, folks. <laughs>
<laughs> There's so many more things we can do. But yeah. uh, at the end of the day, let's be harmonious. Let's treat yeah. each other right. And let's live a peaceful life. Yeah. All right. Peace. That's a wrap, folks. Take it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> peace. All right. Peace, folks. <laughs>